it only starts diluting the power of the brand when you lose control over product, what it looks like, um, or the partners that are making it. So I think that the expansion opportunities are endless if you can keep the brand integrity and the brand promise there. So I think that, you know, what you just have to do and make sure of is that you have someone on the inside that's managing this, that does a good job of aligning everything and making sure that everybody is talking to each other and that there's a, there's, you know, even at the most diluted end of the spectrum, someone can look at it and say, oh yeah, that's Rebecca Minkoff and here's why. Welcome to Reward, the podcast of The Trust. We are the show specifically for women entrepreneurs who want to build businesses into the multi-million dollar revenues and beyond, but especially because we know the reward is much greater than that. I'm Allie Brown, and I'm excited to introduce you to these diverse female leaders from a variety of industries, women making huge impact and who are unwilling to settle for the status quo. On the web, visit jointhetrust.org to learn more about our modern community for forward-thinking seven- and eight-figure women entrepreneurs. That's jointhetrust.org. See you there. Now, get ready to enjoy this episode's powerful conversation. I was going through the transcript from our interview we did in 2019, and this is a quote from you after you've had, I said, oh, you have three kids. Yes, I'm threatening a fourth. I haven't decided if I can maintain my sanity. So how are you? Uh, well, good news is, is I'm sane. <laughs> and <laughs> I think that I woke up at the ripe old age of 42 and I said, someone's missing from this mix and we need, we need him to join us. I didn't know he was a boy at the time. Um, and he has been the biggest gift I could have ever, not even ever imagined. Um, and I think I, I had him at a time in my life where from a from a viewpoint of maturity as a mother, as a person, you know, different phase of my business that the the headspace I have to raise him uh, mm. is very different from my other children. And it's really yeah. I'm savoring every second of it. Oh, I could just feel it. It's just such a delicious feeling, right? It makes me want to have another one. Careful, everybody. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Women. <laughs> <Lots of> women. <laughs> Woo. Yeah. yeah. Um, so for I'm so excited that you're gonna be speaking for us in Naples coming up at March 5th and 6th for the trust at our spring meeting. Um, you know, I was going through a lot more of your story and I I think there's just so much that people don't even know about. You know, they, they hear Rebecca Minkoff, sometimes they don't even know you're a person, right? They're like, oh yeah, the bags and shoes and um Let's go back and and talk about, you know, it's funny too, because I'm like, Jenna Elfman. Oh my God, does that take you back or what? I mean, the 90s into the 2000s, that show. And is it me or was th- were things more fun then? Like, are we just older now? Do you think? It just seemed like a fun time for everything, for fashion, for um, music, and like your fashion kind of fit into what was going on. I think that, you know, the biggest shift is now I think expectations are way higher. I think everyone has access to so much more information and FOMO. And so the highs that you can have, sometimes I feel like are less because someone makes a comment on your feed or takes a better picture. They were invited to something and you weren't. We didn't know any of that then. It was just like, I know you're in the moment, focus on it. Like you weren't getting your phone out to capture 
the concert, right? You were just in it. And I think that's what made it fun is we were focused on what we were doing. We weren't so distracted by needing to be something to everybody at all times of the day. Yeah. So how, how have you grown and changed in how you view Gosh, I mean, I, I want to hear about everything. And there, there'll be some that we'll, of course, we'll cover when we see each other live. But, you know, as far as who you've become over the last 20 plus years and in how you lead and how you run a company, um, share about your journey in that way. So um, I never was the CEO. I never ran it. I was always the creative. But my style... Uh, of leading, because at one point I did have a team of 18. Um, I think that it has evolved and changed and I have experimented a lot. I know what doesn't work. What doesn't work is I very much thought that the way to improve the culture within my company was to be the mother figure, to be the therapist, to be the person that fixes the problems between people. And I think it made it worse. And I got nothing done, frankly, except for got involved in way too many issues between people and upset others because I bypassed them. And I just decided after talking with a business coach who said, you know, you are paying money to people. They then perform a job. It is not a right. It's not a gift. It is not a handout. And if they are not making your life easier or growing the business or laying more bricks, it doesn't matter. Like, well, she's trying so hard. No doesn't matter. Either they do it well, they take a load off, they contribute to growth or they don't. And once you can view yeah. your business that way, then it's really clear who's performing and who's not. And so I think I've taken that lens and I try and shorten my time of like, I'm not sure to let me see three months. That's all you get. And if you mm. can't make it in, then you got to go. If you're going to be a quiet quitter, we don't accept them here. Um, and so you can do that and not be mean. But you deserve, if it's your company and it's your blood, sweat, and tears at the end of the day, it's you getting up in the middle of the night, like you deserve to have people that care, that want to be there, that are dedicated, that can put their own personal shit aside and and perform a job. So I think we've become, yeah. we're in this like welfare society mindset, I think too much of work of like, it's owed to you. Like nothing is owed to anybody. Um, and so I think that I'm, I tr really try and take that approach and. Um, and then when I find someone great, man, I do, I'll do anything to hold on to them because it's rare. Yeah. Yeah. I love this. You're bringing out the New Yorker. You're like 90 days <laughs> and you're out of here. <laughs> it, that is probably, you know, over the years in coaching so many women as well. And, you know, I, I've, I've not coached many men, but I have in my observation, it's an easier decision for them. They're like, they see the purpose of the role in the business and it's very, it's more of a linear thought process, right? We're like, oh, but Jeannie's dog died and yeah. you know, she's trying really hard, like you said. And so we learn that and the, the, the warmth and, um, compassion we have that is a gift. We have to manage that and balance that as leaders in our 100%. company. I mean, just to give you an yeah. example, like we had a girl who was working remote and didn't have childcare for her son. And I was like, you know, one person's opinion was like, poor female focused company. I was like, we still need to have childcare for our kids. Yes. Or we, you know, you can't just be like, oh, sorry, I don't have childcare, but I'm going to work remote. No, you're not. We're all moms. 
there is right. no work getting done if you don't have childcare. And so it's, you know, I think sometimes the goal is to feel that nurturing, like you mentioned, but sometimes it just doesn't make sense for a business in that, in that particular moment. Right. So what's changed in fashion? Oh since my God. You started everything. Like, um, like it doesn't have to be the, well, you could talk about the style, but I mean, also the so much when you think about, I mean, you've had to navigate through the dawn of social media and influencers and then fashion shows going online and just, just all this within a very, I mean, that's a turbulent 20 years in an industry. I mean, it's, it's night and day. I think when I do speak about how it was, it's like, uh, people like sound like I'm talking about cavemen. So I think (laughs) that, um, you know, it went from a very simple linear model to completely, you know, you have to be everywhere all at once. You have to be your own media company. Um, and I think that it's, it happened gradually. So it's not like it was a shock to the system, but I think now we're at a place where it's just like, something's got to give. You can't have a YouTube channel and a podcast and two newsletters and website and a social presence and be a designer and be a mother. Like at a certain point, you're just like, whoa, you know? And so uh, another woman that, that is a friend is like, you know, if you do have to be your own media company, like how do you just get smarter about taking the same content and slicing it up for everywhere it needs to go and just being smarter about where you put your time, like do two things really well and yeah. then don't do the others. Right. You may not need to be on eight platforms. Um, where where do you find the best um, engagement with your, your customers and your followers? I mean, Instagram, because it's visual and she likes to see the bag. She likes to see the lifestyle. But then I have a great podcast audience who wants to hear from women doing amazing things. And then, you know, it's, it's, you got to start slicing the pie and, you know, my LinkedIn talks about entrepreneurs. And so, you know, I'm about to launch another newsletter on Substack and, uh, in the next week. And so that's going to be more personal. Um, Oh, what's that one about? Um, the title is a little bit of everything. And that's because Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm constantly being asked what what vitamins do you take and where did you get this and anything not related to design or business and I just felt like I, I'm almost like the consumer reports of motherhood at this point <laughs> with, like every stroller that I've tried and the perfect diaper bag and whatever and um so I just feel like it is a little bit of everything I'm going to be sharing my morning routines my favorite places my packing hacks and just lots of different things that I feel like, like women might want to know. I love that. Speaking of packing, I just remember, I just saw a shot, I think of you moving. That just reminded me, um, were you moving house and you finally, did did you, did you have enough of the uh, city life or what's going on? We were in an apartment in Brooklyn that we owned. We've lived in that building for, uh, 10 years and with four children, it just got tight. And I really wanted to have a lawn for my children and a backyard for my children. Um, New York is in a very interesting, New York City, I would say, and, and Brooklyn where we were is just in a place right now where I don't feel comfortable allowing my children to be outside unsupervised, even though Dumbo is very safe. Um, yeah. And there are a lot of parents who send their kids on the subway at this age at 12 and 
all over the city, but I just couldn't get there. And so we just had to go to a place that's near the city that is just allowing for us to spread our wings a bit. Can you share what state or is that private? Um, it's in New York, but that's- You're that's still in New York. Okay. Made. Yeah. That's all we will say. Yeah. Somewhere with, with grass <laughs> with in New York. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I get it. I saw all the packing going on. I'm like, oh, that's a big project there. That's going to yeah, be a big job. Yeah. That was that was also really emotional, more than I thought it would be. Um, there was a, at one point I was like, I walked out of the apartment and I was like, I'll be back. And I like would shake shack and got like a big burger and fries and, and milkshake. And I just sat there like eating and processing like this is the end of my time in the city and I was never going to leave the city. Yeah, you held you held out pretty long. I mean, I'm sure your friends were like, you know, having babies and they were like all driving off, you know, into, you know, two acres plus, right, with lawns and like get the SUV and like you know, the whole thing. Um, I'm probably putting my house on the market uh soon as well and it's a big, you know, it's it's over 10 years I walked in here with five week old twins, you know, and it was there's you don't realize until I wasn't ready till now because it had so many memories here, yeah. right? And just so much crap. I mean, <laughs> I just have to go through. I, and I'm not a, a hoarder. Like, I don't like take keep a lot of stuff. But when you have, you know, you just live in a place, it just kind of happens, right? One thing I've always loved about your brand is that it's, I hope, I hope this word is okay. It, it's, it's a bit discreet. It doesn't scream the, the brand. It doesn't have a giant, you know, RM on the the logo. Um, was that a conscious decision? Because when you came out, you know, that's when a lot of fashion, if I remember, was about like logos and brands. And it was really just starting to come off. Like if you were wearing designer, you wanted to show it. I know when I first started making money, I was all about that because I'm like, it's like the look I've made it. You know, I can carry these bags. And, and then I was kind of done with it. And I actually discovered one of your bags, I mentioned it on the show and I will still do anything to find it. It was like this white bucket bag. It had like a little Rebecca Minkoff on it, but it had tassels. And I'll talk to you later about this. We have to find this bag. The white bucket and bag, was I, it white with um, navy blue tassels? Or no, it was, it was white on white. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I gotta, I gotta look around for that again. I bought like two or three of them because I kept trashing them and I would just buy another one and find it online. And I loved it though, because I'm like, oh, it's just, it looked so cool. And I got so many compliments on it and it added a little sass or edge to anything I was wearing. So did you always have that vision or has your style evolved since you've originally launched? So my, my discreet style, and I'm happy you noticed that was on purpose because I was so disgusted with what I was seeing when I launched, <laughs> it was like, the Fendi spy bag, the Chloe Paddington, the Louis Vuitton Murakami. And like, you see these women out with their like hands like this. Remember whenever we used to keep their bags like that? And with a dog. With a dog. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and their, and their juicy couture sweatpants and their Uggs. And it would be like, oh, yeah. look at my plaque. And I, A, I couldn't afford that. I couldn't afford my bags even, but I was like, I want a bag that in three months I'm not sick of right? I want a bag that has a timeless quality. It's still trend forward, but there's a timelessness that if I am going to spend, when I launched my bags were around $500. Um, if I'm going to spend money I don't have on a bag, like I want to, I want to feel like it, it has years to it. So for me, the logo was always on the back, on the bottom. Um, as we've grown the company and it has gotten more name recognition, you will occasionally and very discreetly see the logo on the front. But to be honest, I'm very careful about it. 
Um, there are some countries where, you know, they won't carry the brand unless the logo's on the front. So like, you'll see it. I was just going to ask, I know you guys are overseas yeah. and I know in, in Asia, they're very big on brands there. They love their brands, like, and they love American brands and all you the high-end fashion the brands. Yeah. You'll see the women carrying the bags backwards to show the logo off. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I think we've so you got to give it to them. Yeah, you got to listen. They love it. So I think we've done a great job of still maintaining discretion. And then the logo is on the front, but it's always very tiny. Um, you are never going to see the big R and the M together. So I just, I just want a woman to walk in and everyone looks at the whole package and doesn't just yeah. go, oh, there's the latest Chanel. She has 10 grand. Or, oh, there's the latest Birkin. She has 25 grand. Um, even though Hermes is I guess, somewhat more discreet, but unless you know, but I, I think that I just want the whole package to be looked at, not flat. Yeah. So what's, what's going on with, with your company now and Rebecca Minkoff and, um, you know, the last time we talked also, you had decided to not do a fashion show and you were doing some different things and um, just different ways of like doing the the fashion out there and, and sh getting it shown off. Are you doing shows again or what's, what's it like? What's going on? We have taken ourselves off of the treadmill of if you have a brand, you have to do this. And if you have a season, you have to show it here. Um, we've always been experimenting and I refuse to go back to this have to mentality. Um, we kind of, literally go like this and say, what do we feel like doing this season or this year? So everything from popping up in Aspen and, you know, partnering with the surf lodge and having a pop-up shop, having a weekend of activities, having two musical performances to last fashion week, Leon Bridges performing. Um, or the season before that we did do a presentation, but it was like heavily immersive experiential. Um, this season, it's now January, like for February Fashion Week, we're most likely not doing something, but we might do something in March. So it really is sort of taking a feel of what's going on and then being really creative. Um, and that's way more fun. It's way more exciting. And I think I'm sick of the the same thing every time. Um, and so I like to mix it up. Yeah. Well, you were one of the first, if I remember, to have the courage to go direct to consumer to involve influencers. I think I read a quote somewhere you were interviewed and, and you were saying that some uh, people in your field were like, don't dirty yourself by going down to the consumer level or, you know, engaging with the, the people, right? Like let them eat cake kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, did that make you nervous when you were starting to break the mold? Were you worried, like, am I going to be, you know, kind of ostracized from the rest of the fashion community making these decisions? Like, is this burning bridges? Was there ever a point that you got a lot of flack and you're like, wow, am I going to like not get distribution now or, you know, or not get the press I had? Yeah. I mean, when you, when you're sitting there and you have like the fashion director of a major store and keep in mind, there was no direct consumer then. Um, or you have editors who are like, I refuse, like we would do our fashion shows and the editors would be seated, but they wouldn't even come if across from them was an influencer. They refused to look at them or be sat next to. So we had to always like have it be staggered, like so that the editors were- Like a cast yeah. system? Like yeah. A <laughs> yes, yes. We had the editors look at the celebrities and then the influencers, <laughs> like- 
the bus. I don't remember, but we always had to keep it oh, wow. separated. And it was like, they were really thought ill of and that, and that you shouldn't speak to your customer. And when they're making these threats and they, you know, they write the orders, it, it is incredibly scary. But we just, we kept going and people thought we were losers. And then it was like, oh, wait, maybe they, maybe they know something over there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you were ahead of the curve. And I think that, you know, I'm going to assume it absolutely helped propel your brand because they didn't have the courage to be thinking ahead because they're so big and slow, right? These institutions and organizations. And then you were more agile. You saw what was coming or you, or you're, you're in it. You could feel it. Right. And they can't feel it up there. They just go by their rules. Yeah. I mean, I think it even goes to even with COVID, right. And how we pivoted as a company, like so many of the bigger companies just couldn't swerve that quickly, you know, and we were, we were able to be like, all right, what does the content look like during a pandemic? What is, how do we sell? How do we do marketing? How, you know, and we were able to shift it very quickly and ironically sold a lot of bags during a time when no one was leaving their houses, you know? So I think that, I think having that small nimble mentality and never letting yourself get caught in corporate and it can happen. You know, I have a specific example of my company now, the, the parent company, it's a bigger company. It takes longer to get things done and you can't be as nimble. Um, and so trying to remember that muscle memory and, and be small-minded, I think is really healthy. And, and how do you know when to stop expanding? Because I know that you started with um, a bag and a t-shirt basically, and then you started expanding. You know, you, you have, tell me all the, the line range of goods you have now. So today we have bags, clothing, shoes. We're going to be relaunching jewelry. Um, what else do we have? <laughs> okay. I mean, it's still a lot. Oh, um, one of our, what's that? And we have home. I was going to ask. So, so one of our uh, guests, was it last year now or the year before? The last three years are like a time warp. I, I just have to really check in sometimes. One of our other special guest advisors we've had in a trust meeting was Paige. Um, Paige Keller from Paige, you know, jeans and fashion. And she was just about to expand into a home. And it was an interesting discussion on that decision. Also, also expanding into men. And, you know, my question is the same to you is like, when do you know to stop? Like, like, what, like, when do you know, when does it start diluting the power of the brand versus empowering? I think it only starts diluting the power of the brand when you lose control over product, what it looks like, um, or the partners that are making it. Sorry, we have fragrance too. I forgot to mention. So I think that the expansion opportunities are endless if you can keep the brand integrity and the brand promise there. Um, and I think there's many, you know, Ralph Lauren is probably the epitome of that. Like they are in every thing you could probably think of, except I don't think he does makeup. But um, that brand can span high and low. The upper image isn't tarnished. You can still buy the collared shirt at TJ Maxx. Like it, it can go. Levi's is a great example of that. Champion, Nike, right? Get them at Costco, but then you also go to the Nike store and you pay triple. So I think that, you know, what you just have to do and make sure of is that you have someone on the inside that's managing this, that does a good job of aligning everything and making sure that everybody is talking to each other and that there's a, there's, 
you know, even at the most diluted end of the spectrum, someone can look at it and say, oh, yeah, that's Rebecca Minkoff and here's why. So tell tell everybody about um, the Female Founder Collective and because that caught my eye a few years ago because it was just also when I was launching the trust and I was like, ooh, what are they doing there? This looks cool and their branding's really cool and um, it looks like they're doing some really great stuff for women in business. You want to speak on that? Yeah, so I launched it out of a sheer frustration of women not making equal to men, of being a founder and feeling, frankly, like I had no other women to commiserate with about what we were going through as founders and thought there's a power to community. There's power to a recognizable and shoppable seal that anyone can support. And there's got to be some sort of education component because we can all start our business with a passion, but then we smack into a brick wall when we don't know something and where could you go and how could you get that education without going back to school? Um, I was then uh, fortunate enough to find my co-founder, Allie, and we've really grown it from what was originally like a free, here you go, to making sure that we could service the women that truly need and want this. And so launched the 10th house, which is a, a pillar of female founder collective. The 10th house in astrology is the house of business and entrepreneurship. And I think for us, it was really about giving them that education, the community and incredible programming and access to each other. So we've built it out. It is a membership based platform. We do in-person meetups. We do virtual. We have um, a thriving online community. And so our goal is to just help these founders get ahead. And to me, you know, if there's more men named John in the C-suite positions than women, I can't figure that. I can't figure out corporate America, right? The female quotient is trying to. Chief is trying to. I know I can impact a founder. Um, And so I think that's kind of my goal. And I have to hope, just like you, she's more successful. She'll pay her employees better. She'll hire more women. To get the better opportunities, and we just hope that all that trickles down, and somehow, you know, we can look back in our old folks' homes and be like, "We made a difference." <laughs> I hope so. It's a lot of work, right? <laughs> it's, so much work. it's so much work. Totally, totally. Um, tell me about you know what's in. I, I love seeing, by the way, because I follow ten house, ten thousand, everything you do online. It looked like people were so excited to get back to in person events. Was that true? Did you find that? Oh my God. Number one survey item, in-person events. We want to see each other. So we organize what's called city sessions. So in in the cities where we have lots of members, we'll organize it. We have elected people self-organizing, just getting together and just literally like commiserating and shooting the shit. Yeah. I love that. Um, I think people are zoomed out. It's interesting. We, we actually will have more members attend and, you know, fly to Florida (laughs) <laughs> to be to be together in a room for two days, then show up for a Zoom. It's just, I think people are just zoomed out now. It can be soul sucking, just so much of it. And then when you have also, especially in our group too, most of the meeting is closed doors, no recording. So, man, like the real stories come out. The sometimes the tears or the wins that they can't share yet. Like yeah. I just sold my company, but I can't tell anyone. Yeah. Or I'm about to get divorced. You know. Or. <laughs> Whatever it is, um, it all comes out. What's that? 100%. We did a retreat for 40 of our founders um, doing 5 million plus and like the crying, the tears and the, you know, the bonding, like you can't get that from a Zoom. 
Is oh it no. And they have no, they've shared this. They, they don't, we don't have safe spaces anymore, right. you know, for, for women also, but women at our level, you know, you walk into rooms and typically you're kind of on guard a bit, you're doing deals or you're in that business mindset. And it's a total flip to, um, wow, you know, I'm in a room now with women I can consider friends and peers and I can let down that guard and, and really share what's going on with my company. And, but the behind the scenes stories really is what helps make, you know, what happens in that room so magical. So, you know, and what, what's juicing you up now? Like what's, what's your theme for you personally into 2024? I really think that I am trying to, I, it's a small example, but I think it impacts life. Um, you know, I was raised growing up, like, we can't afford the cheeseburger at McDonald's for 10 cents more, get the hamburger, or we can share a small fry or don't spend the money. Like my parents, even when their financial situation improved, it was like, we don't have it. We can't spend it. No, no, no. And so I find myself working hard and being successful. And I still have this scarcity mindset. And you know, I watch another friend of mine who doesn't have the scarcity mindset and he has in his freezer, you know, four backups of everything in his pantry, six, you know, he is expanding in, he is allowing himself to have. And so while I don't do it egregiously, this year is just about expanding into what I have and expanding and allowing myself not to feel that I don't have it. I don't have it. And it, it sounds crazy, right? Like cry me a river. Um, here's my tiny violin. But I think when you're you know, brought up in that you can't get rid of that feeling no matter how well you do, but then you can't enjoy what you've worked so hard for. And so I'm really just like, I'm going to enjoy what I have done. Ooh, I love that. Just like a year of abundance and enjoyment yeah. and you'll have more than enough joy and peace and four backups for your mustard or whatever, you know, you need in the fridge. And I'm, I'm a, I'm a three backup person, like any item in the pantry need, like I need to meet that guy. Cause like every, I have systems and like, if we don't have three of something it's purchased, like <laughs> I'm, I'm big on backup. I have like 10 toothpaste in a drawer. Like this is the stuff, like when I move, it's going to be a shocker. I'll be like, wow, I have like 13 of these eyeliners because I everything I like gets discontinued too. So I have discontinuation panic for cosmetics. Oh no. So I probably could sell that stuff online. Like someone somewhere is looking for, you know, this eyeshadow that's been discontinued that now I don't want to wear, but I have like, you know, not 12, like four. <laughs> Listen, even like four of them for discontinued cosmetics and it goes for quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's the reward? in all this for you, Rebecca? The reward is getting to a place where I can truly be with my family, be with my kid, and not be worried or thinking about email or a deadline or a, or a have to. I could just be. And obviously, I love to work, um, and, I, and I'm fueled by it. But I just spent so many years, like weekends, nights, like tied to the phone, the computer, um, staying up late to work. And the reward is like, I just don't have to do that anymore. Nothing, nothing crazy is impacted by it. We didn't, we didn't not grow by a certain amount because I didn't do that. And just being able to mm. 
again, enjoy your hard work and enjoy that you've got to that place where some other people have it. If that makes sense. Yeah. That must be a great feeling. And we're excited to get there. That's going to be great. I also want to make a mention that, so I got, uh, we have a copy of your book for everyone in the trust. They're receiving it this week. We sent it in a cute little package with like stuff to get them excited for Florida, like seashells and some little um, fun things. And um, just, we're so excited to see you and we'll touch base soon before you come join us. And any last words of advice for everyone before we see you in March? My last words of advice would be that what we're doing is hard. It's not easy. Why we thought it would be, or like why we thought, you know, what other, what, what you think is happening just from what you see on the surface of, of everybody is not true. If somebody is up there making it look easy, there's a lot of hard work behind it. There's a lot of people. I have a, my bench is deep, right? And maybe we can talk about that on the stage. Like my bench is deep with work. It's deep in freelancers who help me do all these things. It's deep, you know, it's not that deep at home because my kids are on school and, you know, I have a great babysitter, but you know, it's like, it's not all one person. No one can do it all. Like don't beat yourself up and just know that you have to work hard and it's going to suck a lot. And then you get these great rewards and then you're like, Oh, this is why I do this. So just keep that in mind. Like there's no, there's no Zempic for success. How's that? Right. <laughs> it's okay. Cause apparently it comes with a lot of digestive issues. I don't know. <laughs> There's a side effect for everything, right? There's a downside to everything. So, but I love that advice because I think sometimes we worry that like the, when do we turn the corner, right? Like it's just going on and on and on. And when is that next chapter coming? And I think that's something we can dive into, um, at the trust, because sometimes we do get in this place. Like we feel like we're stuck in a holding pattern and we're like, all right, do I have the energy to keep going? Do I, do I really, uh, you know, I'm looking at the next, you know, X years of my life. Someone may be sitting there thinking like, does she's thinking, do I, do I keep pushing? What do I do? So maybe you can help us think through some of those decisions. Yeah. Happy to love that. Fantastic. All right. Thanks, Rebecca. Have a great day and we'll see you in just a few weeks. Thank you. See you soon. Bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Subscribe now to the Reward Podcast to be sure to not miss an episode. And don't forget to visit jointhetrust.org to learn more about our modern community for forward-thinking seven- and eight-figure women entrepreneurs. You can learn more, apply to join us, or refer another woman you know who is over the million-dollar mark and is ready for a different type of women's network. We have events coming up both live and online that are truly creating new possibilities for female leaders. That's jointhetrust.org. See you there.